Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm John Simon. And John, before we let the guests introduce themselves, we both take pride in carefully outlining most of our podcasts. I know it's something we like to do to have some sort of order and predictability. We threw that playbook out on this one. I suspect this was inspired by Father's Day. I'm not sure, but it was. Mary and I were talking about it, and this is what we came up with. Let's have the guests introduce themselves. Start with Mary. Sure. So I'm Mary Simon, John's daughter, and I practice here with him at the Simon Law Firm. Colleen Garvey, Jack Garvey's daughter, and I practice with him at uh, Strange Jennings and Garvey. Um, Jack Garvey, Colleen's dad, and I'm also employed at Strange Jennings and Garvey. I work for Colleen. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I think it maybe was around Father's Day, and I we have another podcast at our office called Heels in the Courtroom, and it's all the female attorneys. And then my dad has The Jury is Out, and I was wondering how I could get on an episode of The Jury is Out and why I hadn't been invited to it yet. So then I asked my, I thought I could tell my dad that it'd be a good idea to have a father-daughter episode with Colleen and her dad. And I called Eric. We figured out what should we say and what should we have an outline? And I told Eric, if four lawyers can't sit down and talk for an hour about anything, then we should probably pick a different profession. And here we have father-daughter combos. So it should be pretty seamless. And Mary, would you tell us more about how you became a lawyer? What inspired you to become a lawyer and uh, and what kind of work you do now? Yeah, I think I told my parents a really long time ago I was never going to be a lawyer or work at the Simon Law Firm or live in St. Louis or go to SLU Law. That's how that conversation was a problem child. Yeah, that's how that conversation started. But my parents always said, that sounds great, honey. And there was never any coaxing or asking to do what my parents do. My mom's a teacher. I think I remember maybe attending my first deposition when I was eight or nine years old in Chicago with my dad. And I sat there with a coloring book and I ate all the mints in the bowl on the table. My dad told me I could eat all the candy on the table. So I ate all the mints. I remember that being a fun experience. And then growing up, I got to hear a lot more about my dad's cases and the clients who he represented, became a little bit more interested in it. I went to Loyola University for college. I studied sociology and Spanish, decided Near the end of college, I wanted to go to law school, applied to a bunch of schools. My dad did ask me one time to take a tour of SLU's law school, but it the new building was just built, right? So it was all new technology. It looked fantastic. And I really loved SLU, ended up going to SLU Law, and then Amy Gunn offered me to have a clerkship with her for a semester or a summer. And I went to one of my professors and I said, hey, my dad's a lawyer and someone at his office asked me to do a clerkship there, but I really don't want to do it. I don't know if I should I just go where my dad works. She said, what firm is it? And I said, oh, it's a Simon Law Firm here in St. Louis. She said, just give it a chance. Just try it. I would if I were you just go do it. And I interned for Amy Gunn and I have been at the firm ever since. I never left and I am in my sixth year of practicing now. And I absolutely love it. And I love working with my dad, too. It's fun. Colleen, what about you? I don't think I ever really thought about being an attorney growing up. 
I definitely have similar memories of being around the dinner table every night and my dad telling us stories from his day. And that was always fascinating to hear, you know, what, especially when you were on the bench as a judge, what all the people you experienced in front of you and the different stories. But I went to college with the mindset that I was going to go into psychology. And I did. I was interested in psychology and majored in that and then took a year off when I graduated because I thought maybe I would be good at this whole attorney thing. And it, it was interesting. And I've always liked storytelling and I was interested in English and reading and writing as well and just reading fiction and the whole idea of people and their backgrounds and different characters has always sparked my interest. After college, I clerked or interned at the circuit attorney's office and got to do various things within that office, including working on diversion programs, which I really enjoyed. And it was a great experience and that shoved me in the direction of, yes, this is something that I could do for the rest of my life. So then I took the LSAT and started at SLU Law and haven't looked back. Psychology, that's a perfect fit for what Right. It right. Really is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Dealing with people. Yeah. What type of work do you do now? What type of legal work? We are plaintiff's attorneys, so personal injury matters. I started out at an insurance defense firm for two years, graduated in the COVID pandemic. That was an interesting time. I really appreciated my first job and learned a lot and got a lot of really good experience. But I think my heart, similar to where my dad's heart is at, is on the plaintiff's side and representing people and getting to know people and getting to know our clients. It's That's more my my speed. Colleen clerked at the Simon Law Firm in my first year of practice. So I think it was 2017 or 2018. Um, Colleen actually saw my first oral argument when I sweated through my suit. (laughs) I was so nervous and there was no one in the courtroom. It was me and Colleen and like Liz, (laughs) one lawyer at the office on a pro bono case. And I went and I just, I was so nervous. But I do remember, to your point, Colleen, there are so many clerks who come through this office and then there are ones who you just you just know they they just get it. And you were that way. And I remember you telling me at some point during work and it was an interesting it was an interesting setup because at that point, I think I was only a year or two, maybe even less than two years older than you and even in terms of school not much difference and you mentioned yeah my dad's a judge or my yeah my dad practices law and we we immediately had that kind of kinship of oh okay so you get it too so we just have stayed in touch and stayed close friends since then and there's so many similarities that you find with people when they're practicing law with their parent and it's a very it's a unique experience but it makes for good stories and connections with those people Jack, what's your story? I have a weird story. I am not from here. I'm from the Philadelphia area. So I went to undergrad here and met my wife here and then went back to New Jersey for law school and came back here. I started out in private practice for a year. I was a prosecutor for about two and a half years, but that's where I was baptized. I tried about 25 cases in a span of two and a half years at the circuit attorney's office. I tried one time three jury trials in one week. By the time I was picking the jury in the last trial, I didn't even know the defendant's name. I had to go back to the file. (laughs) and look at the file to tell the jury that it was him. (laughs) So then I took this path in politics and became an alderman for four years. But around that time, Colleen and her sister Sheila were born, and that kind of took us from a family of two to a family of four. So I needed to get out of this political hobby and move on to the real practice of law. So I went back with my partner, Tony Sestrick, who was just a great guy. 
I was there for a couple of years and then with Laird's Plunkert for a couple of years and then I was on the bench. I was on the bench for about 18 years. And in retrospect, it was probably one of the better decisions I made in my life other than marrying my wife and having kids. Third better one was to join the bench because it put me right in that slot when I had four children under the age of 10 or younger. And so I was home every dinner. So when you're a judge, you don't really bring anything home. You send people away for a lot of time or you take kids away from their parents or you sit over sizable verdicts or something, but you don't really wake up in the middle of the night. You don't really stay past five. And it was wonderful. I was home and we had dinner together every single night. And it was at those dinners that we all started talking. So I would tell what I did in the day and the kids would tell what they did and to varying degrees. And they would hear these stories about criminals, and I went through every single court in the city. I was in juvenile court, domestic court, criminal court, civil court. I was the presiding judge for the criminal court, the juvenile court. So they had a real narrative. But the interesting thing about Colleen is she never said anything about being an attorney ever until my wife and I went to visit her at Rockhurst in college. And she announced from the back seat of the car. And Colleen was always big on this backseat of the car. She had done it like five years before when she announced in the backseat of the car that she wanted to play golf for her high school, having never played golf before. <laughs> so she did that coming back from a vacation. This time I was coming back from dinner and she announced, hey, I think I want to go to law school. And I am not exaggerating. My wife and I really had a pact that we were never going to tell our kids what they were going to do for a living, where they were going to go to school. We just stayed out of it. We didn't know what their grades were. We just stayed out. We just thought that was better. That's how we were raised. So when Colleen announced that, that was the first that we'd heard it. I just remember my response was, oh, okay, that's good. And that was it. That was really how we talked. We're Irish, so there's really not a, like a lot of times this discussion about stuff. We'll talk about everything else, but maybe not <laughs> family, personal, <laughs> interrelationship. Uh, Colleen's nodding her head. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. So Colleen went to law school, and I think Colleen's one of the better attorneys that I work with. I love working with Colleen because... Number two, she's a great lawyer. Number one, I love working with my daughter, but it's she's just a joy to work with. Like Mary said, gets it, moves to the next spot without any cajoling or anything. And when we went with this firm in Nashville and became partners, I told them, I said, yeah, I'll come with you, but can I, I would like to bring my daughter. She's the real lawyer in the family. And they laughed. They thought that was funny. Now we really want you, Jack. Like, yeah, you'll see. And after about two months, they were all like, oh. They got it. Yeah, now, see, we, <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah, no one listens to me. So uh, this is turning into an appreciation for Colleen podcast. <laughs> yes. John, you have anything I'm to here. say? Well, I will yeah. tell you this. Chime so, in. <laughs> I've, I've been practicing for 38 years, maybe, 37, 38 years. And most of my day, if you sit with me in my office at least 30 times a day, some younger lawyer, that some of the young lawyers come in, that's my job, asking questions, bouncing things off me. And it's always somebody with some issue or problem. And I love it. That's what that's part of what I do. And Mary was here for about three months and she came down to my office and I said, hey, Mary, what's going on? What's up? And she said, nothing. I just came down to see how you're doing. <laughs> I went, holy shit. That's never happened. <laughs> that's never happened to me before. She literally said, how was your how's your day You know, going? I was so like impressed. I actually called my wife and said, do you know what happened? <laughs> today, she actually came. Somebody came down to my office and said, I, I, "What kind of day? You How are you? How you doing?" Yeah, it's a daughter thing. I think it's a daughter. I have two sons and a daughter, and I love my sons. I don't see them coming down asking me, "Dad, <laughs> how's your day going?" 
but Mary and I always got along. She didn't get along with her mom. I, but I, Mary and I got along a lot. So I didn't, when Mary said she was going to come and work here, I was de- just delighted, excited. So, the, I, so it sounds like the practice will all like seep through your house then with three kids? Yeah, two? I have three and two are attorneys. My oldest is not. George, George has a Middle Eastern bakery and sweet shop. Oh, so okay. sells ice cream and baklava. And, uh, and he's fluent in Arabic. So he studied like international studies or international relations. Yeah, his, he's got a master's in Middle Eastern studies and he taught Arabic at St. Louis U and he taught it at St. Louis U High. So he's got two two different places with baklava and ice cream and he's having a blast and doing well. Did you talk about work much? All the time. All the time. To the point where my wife would just not allow me to talk about it anymore. Really? That what she's, she wants to hear something, especially now yeah. with Mary and Johnny. And we're, we work on cases together, and we go out of our way at home not to get too much into it. We go out of our way to try. Yeah, to but not. it still happens. Right. It still happens. We do that, too. We try not to talk. Yeah. You couldn't tell if yeah. you're one of our family, but we, on Sundays, we, like, initially talk about something and suppress it and just say, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, and it's so hard if you go on vacation. If you're in the same house on vacation, I walk down the steps in the morning and I hear my dad doing dictation on his phone. And I'm like, if he's working, I guess I should open my laptop and my husband will just look at me. He's also an attorney. He's like, nope, nope, just walk into the other room. We're not going to do this. I get up at four o'clock every morning. I just do. Been that way for years. Yeah, it's probably closer to 3.30 yeah. now. Yeah, maybe sometimes. But I'm about four o'clock, 4.15, I got the coffee and I'm, I work for two or three hours, like every morning. And if I'm, it doesn't matter where I'm at. If I'm on vacation or whatever, I will sit there and maybe I'll read a book or something. But I'm up at four, and most days I get more done before eight in the morning than I do the rest of the day. And now, of course, it's seven o'clock. I'm done. <laughs> That's when we're in trial. I tell the younger lawyer, any of the lawyers, I said, "Look, at eight o'clock. If it's after eight o'clock, it's not happening." When they, <laughs> I'm going, got to do it in the morning or do it ahead of time. But it works out nicely because if I'm trying a case with my dad, then all hours of the day are covered because I'll send him emails until midnight and then I'll start at 4 a.m. And I'm like, we have a 24-hour service during trials, which is fun. I don't think a lot of people understand how much work goes into a trial. So I think that to be the offspring of an attorney, to see a trial, to see the work is good because people have no idea how much work goes into a trial. Absolutely. And it never, you're never prepared. Yeah. You're never finished. And as as all of us know, the I tell everybody the week before trial isn't your time. You know, you're going to be doing something else. They're going to be throwing stuff at your emotions or whatever. And I can you imagine showing up and going, yeah, I got the day before trial, but I'm ready. <laughs> that never right. happens. I'd like to give a cameo about my daughters who are not attorneys, who showed no interest in being attorneys. But when they were four and six, I had an argument in Hannibal. And it was an oral argument that went on and on. It was about arbitration. And I thought he did a really good job, but I know it was a long one. And the judge had allowed my daughters to sit in the back of the courtroom with their coloring books. And so they were there. And after I got done, I was thinking they would say something about, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and instead they said, that took so long. <laughs> they did not become attorneys. Uh, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of kids that don't have a chance to work, or family members that don't have a chance to work with other family members. John, your family has... A long history of working together, starting with the fruit and vegetable market at Sula. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've also got your brother, Tony, here, Kevin Carney. 
Maybe talk. This seemed to be a real natural thing for you to work with your. You know what? I, I we had a produce stand. My dad did at Soulard Market, and I've, I come from a family of ten, and I guarantee you we weren't helpful or helping him. You were seven and older, and he would just get all of us out of our mom's hair on Saturday, and we'd all go down there at age seven. I'd be down at the market all day. How are you going to be helping anybody at seven, eight years old? It wasn't always fun then, but looking back on it, it's one of the best things that ever happened. Getting to you spend time. Working together, helping support the family, it really gave me a sense of of satisfaction that we're actually doing something. Now, when I hit the high school years, I couldn't get along with my dad. Well, I mean, we argued about everything through through high school. It wasn't until maybe I got to, got into college or got out of college that it. But uh, love my dad, worked with him all the time. But it's and that was one of the things too. When my wife Margie and I were talking about Johnny coming to work with me, and Johnny and I kind of butthead still on stuff. And my wife gave me great advice and it was like, just let him do whatever, like you were saying, judge, let him stay out of it, let him do whatever he wants. And, and that worked out. And I think part of it too is it's, we have 14 lawyers here, about 50 employees, and there's a lot of space. It's not like working. How many lawyers do you guys have in the office? Three. Three. So you guys work, and Mary and I work very closely together. We work on a lot of cases together. But, uh, Who handles the emails on your cases? Are you sending the emails and your dad's copied on them, or is it the other way around? I think it's a mix. Depends on the case, yeah. To go to the family thing, I think Colleen never feared the family thing because her brother started selling the same kind of peanuts and pretzels down at Bush Stadium. Okay. They had two corners, and then they got two more corners, and then their first employees were their sisters. Oh, uh, we were uh, yeah. 11 years old just running peanuts yeah. back and forth. Oh, my gosh, that's on the street. So they, and they are, all four of them are very close, which as, as a parent probably gives you the most happiness you could have in life so, to see that the siblings and those four, through no, through no prodding from us, they have, to, and still are close. And so they work with them on business and the two brothers are partners now in several different businesses. And I remember in high school when Sheila and I couldn't drive yet, we had our permits license. And our brothers were in college. You would pick us up in the green truck. <laughs> I was at golf practice. Sheila was at, I think, soccer. So you did play golf practice. in high school? I did, yes. Oh, wow. I decided to play just <laughs> play <in> college for. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's amazing. But you would pick us up in the truck and from our practices and take us downtown and wait there with us. And I'd see, I'd see guys that I had just put on probation yeah. walking down. <laughs> and they would be like, the funniest hey, story was, I threw us. Hey, Judge. And hey, Jeffrey, how you doing? And he'd have a sign, homeless. That I'll never forget the story. He has, I'm homeless. And he's standing right in front of me. I said, Jeffrey, you're not homeless. I said, you just pled guilty last week and your mom was there. You said you were living with your mom. He goes, I know, Judge, but this is working for me right now. So then a week later, I'm there. And now he's scalping tickets. And I said, Jeffrey, I thought you were doing the homeless thing. He goes, yeah, Judge, I do that until an hour before the game. Then I switched to scalping tickets. That's a, a true entrepreneur. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, man, oh, man. That's hilarious. Colleen, what's the age difference between you and your brothers? Oldest brother is six years older and then three years okay. as a second. So Sheila and I, I'm eight minutes older than Sheila. Ah. We're fraternal twins. And then Matt, three years older. Tim, six years older. Okay. But all of these are all in St. Louis? Yes. Four. We all live within 10, yeah. 15 minutes of each other. That's like us. Yeah. yeah. Sunday night dinner at our parents every week. It's good. What, did your dad ever tell you stories about 
what happened at work when he was on the bench that would make you guys teaching you lessons through what would happen at court? I don't think it was more about lessons. It's entertainment. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a really good storyteller. A lot. 18 games right? on that's the bench. Awesome. Yeah. That's a thing. Oh, I think with the, I was in juvenile, the gay adoption thing, I think that was, my wife is very, she was a nurse and retired nurse. And so she's very giving, kind person, like all of our wives are, but just in her profession and it just fit her. So I think that between her work and my work, we were constantly telling stories of people yeah. and narratives involving people and dumb choices they made. But we weren't making a point to say, this per don't make this choice like this person. It was just part yeah. of the story. But one of the stories was when I was a juvenile judge, they, there really was no provision for gay adoptions. And so we took, I took a thin reading of it like Judge Frawley had before me and continued it of a narrow reading of a person may adopt. So we would just do the adoption for each person in the partnership. Mm -hmm. So it happened that really I was the only person like east of Columbia that was doing it for that time. There was no judges in St. Louis County. And the city, I just remember telling this story one night. And But the part of the story was an attorney came up to me after I started doing this and said, we're all out in the hallway and we're, we're wondering, why are you doing this? We would not expect this from a judge like you, because I think I had this stern demeanor or whatever. And I said, I've always thought if it doesn't affect the price of beer in America, what do I care what you do? <laughs> and I told that story to the kids and the attorney responded, I was expecting something more profound, but I really should not have been expecting anything like that. You're like, it's not that deep. So I told that story at dinner. I, yeah, I was like, really, I don't know what the big deal is. It's essentially what the message was. And I remember telling a story at dinner, and that resonated with Colleen and Shuley. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and my yeah. son. So that was the only one. But not, other than that, it was only just for entertainment. Just this is what, can you believe this guy did this today or something like right. that? Right. It resonated for a lot of reasons. My sister and I are both gay, and it was very easy to come out to you and mom. We'll forever appreciate that. Though you had many sayings growing up, and I think <laughs> that was one of them. The other one was, I'm not going to tell you that story until you turn 21. <laughs> but what was wild to us, especially around the dinner table, is that you told so many stories that we probably should never have heard. And I remember my mom being like, Jack, should you be safe? Because <laughs> you had some very violent crimes in front of you. Life is there was a lot of stories. Yeah. I think one of my favorite one of my favorite things is sometimes my friends would ask me, do you, do you get grounded? Did your parents ground you? And I never got grounded. And I tell my friends, I didn't get grounded. I got cross-examined and it's way worse. <laughs> it is way worse. And I have memories of being in high school and my older brother, Johnny, who works here with us, we're only 18 months apart. And so for a period of time in high school, our friends would overlap. Sometimes I'd hang out with Johnny's friends and vice versa. And if my parents decided to go out of town, maybe we'd have a couple friends over. Maybe I shouldn't be putting this on the podcast. But afterwards, my dad would just say, hey, Mary, can you come here for a second? And even hearing that, I'd rather him just say, you're grounded than ask that. And he'd just call me into the room really calm demeanor, usually had a legal pad on his lap because he was in the middle of working on something. And he'd just look up for a second. And it was very evident that he had already talked to my mom. And he just said, he'd start out, do you remember we had a conversation about this weekend? I was sitting here. You were standing there. Do you remember that? Yeah. Pause. Classic. Uh -huh. you, you were under oath. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
And we looked at each other and we had an agreement about what the weekend would look like. Ring a bell. And that would go on until there would be some very serious admissions that would come out, followed by an apology. And then, okay, um, and you're smart, right? It would always end with you're a smart person, right? You make good decisions and you'll continue to make good decisions, right? Uh-huh. And then the conversation would end. I grew up, as I said, with 10 of us. And my mom, I think we were like, there's 14 years, 10 kids in 14 years. And my mom had a saying, she said, any day where nobody's in jail or in the hospital is a good day. And that was the threshold. <laughs> there were so many of us that I could literally, when I was in high school, be not come home for three days, and my parents wouldn't know. I always I mean, had that yeah. saying, yeah. too. If they're not on fire, they're yeah. still breathing, not yeah. bleeding, yeah. it's been a yeah. good day. Right. Yeah. And we're up in the wind column. And then when I'd get in, like, really bad trouble, my dad would, it would be my mom yelling at me, but my, my dad occasionally would dad do something bad enough that my dad have to deal with my father and he I remember him saying I was I did something bad I don't know what it was I got in trouble at school or something and I was about 16 years old and he said son you're 16 years old if you don't know what the hell to do you don't know the difference between right and wrong he goes there's not a goddamn thing I could do about it <laughs> said that was the end of it and but I love that yeah it's not dogmatic no, it's exactly. not this he said, what do you want me to do? it's not biblical it's yeah. just look yeah. you're if you're just too stupid to accept yeah. this thing right I have failed yeah. see you later yeah I really and then like it puts it. it on you yeah exactly right He's like and that's the good thing luck. that always happened he would say you're smart you think you're smart yeah you know how to make good decisions that's not <laughs> something I need to monitor you to make those decisions you won't do something stupid I'm like uh-huh. I would electively decide not to go to the party after having that conversation. Yeah, I was, I think I, my son Johnny was on a basketball team. Believe it or not, they went to Ireland to for a tournament. My wife is Irish, Margaret McDermott. And so Johnny was 15 years old. And it just so happens that they were drinking when they were over in Ireland. Shocker. And, and I, you know, what the hell? And my son John actually called his mom to get her permission that he could drink. <laughs> Did the shit hit the fan? I was like, she's calling the coaches, and Johnny comes home, and I'm going, son, you just got to learn. Sometimes just keep the, you know, because he was going with that, everybody out. And I said, I'm not arguing with you about that, you know, about the, you just use a little discretion. You don't need to call back. And I said, what the hell did you think she was going to say? Yeah, go ahead. So, Mary, are, was that revenge for the cross-examinations, what you did to your dad today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. My dad called me earlier today and to remind me that we were recording this podcast. And he called and said, hey, you're coming in today for the podcast. And I just said, oh, my God, I completely forgot. I'm not going to be there. And it was radio silence That's, on the other end of the line. I could tell he was grappling like with, this is something she needs to be doing for work. But she's also my daughter. So I don't want I want to give her some leniency. And he went, you need to be here. And I just went, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love having those moments where, you know, Colleen, we're so lucky to have good relationships with our parents, especially our dads who we get to work with every day. And it's so fun to use the moments of I'll just call them play. Just the fun moments that you just get to whether you're bouncing ideas off your dad or just laughing about something that can happen in a case. I, I love the moments where if you have a difficult opposing counsel or something and it's an opportunity, at least I see it this way, and maybe it's it's almost reflective of a little kid in me, but it's almost an opportunity to get to show your dad that you're able to carry yourself in a professional, kind, respectful manner 
with someone. And I love doing that when you're in a a rough spot with an opposing counsel. And I love it when they just add my dad's email on the email as if it's going to change something about the decision that I've made in a case that I'm working on. And I, I love when they send an email and say, John, and we'll start talking about something that my dad has done historically in a case that maybe I'm doing a little bit differently. And I just love knowing that my dad and I have that relationship where I have the confidence to just... My response is good luck to him. <laughs> good luck. Or, it has, or typing it has or it, out with sending me. out whatever Mary said and just <laughs> sending it. But it's fun to have that sort of relationship where you're taking all the these things that we got to learn from our dads growing up and use those when interacting with other folks on cases with their involvement. Thank you for joining us this far in this conversation. We're going to pause the conversation and thank you for coming back for one more episode. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Beeth. I'm John Simon. We'll see you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.